Well, it is good to be back uh, with my family and church family. So good to see you. And if you, uh, if, if you didn't hear about two and a half weeks ago, I was exposed to COVID. Uh, I was out of state at a conference and uh, got back. And, but man, I, I just, I didn't have any of the normal symptoms. Uh, my family's doing great. I'm doing great now. And I just am really grateful for all of your prayers. Some of you have sent me notes and just told me you're praying for me. And I just want to tell you that really means the world to me. I also wanna thank our veterans one more time. We, we honor you this weekend. We're so thankful for you, uh, all that you do. Well, we've been in this series called Let's Talk About It, a conversation on mental health. So far, we've talked about anxiety. Last week, we talked about depression. And this week, we're talking about addiction. And uh, you are in for an incredible treat. We have a guest here that I'm gonna interview. His name is Brendan McDonough and I want you to hear his story. So at a very young age, I started using marijuana and alcohol, and I started to embrace that identity, and that's when, you know, my life just completely was out of control. I was in class one night, and I hear some guys talking about an opening on a hotshot crew. And I'm thinking to myself, I have my certs, I can do that job. I need this. I can't put into words how that moment in my life puts such a trajectory into the man I am today. After two and a half years of fighting fire, like my life was back on track and I left drugs in the, in the past. You know, June 30, 2013, we'd be called to a fire in Yarnell, and it was a relatively small fire. My superintendent captain are sitting right there, standing right there, and they go, hey, Brennan, you want to be the lookout today? I say, of course, Soup, I'd love to. I'm watching the fire, and the fire's moving completely away from us. It's going north, and we're on the south end of this fire. And so I'm relaying stuff back to my superintendent, and he's like, yeah, we're seeing similar things up here, and, you know, just keep us informed. And around that afternoon, late afternoon, we get a, uh, a weather event update, and it's saying that there's this storm coming in from the north, and it's going to bring winds of, like, 50 to 60 miles an hour, and it's going to turn this fire around. So instead of going north, it's going to head south. Over the next few minutes, it starts really picking up, moving south towards us, and I'm closer to the fire than my crew. So this fire now is turned around, and it's pushing towards town, and we don't have time. And this fire is starting to burn homes, and I'm watching it continue to progress to where they're at, and it's moving fast. The only way I can describe it is it just kind of skipped with the wind. And so we pull out, we pull everybody out of that area and they start pulling everyone off the fire line because this weather event has come in a lot sooner than they had suspected. And there was another one behind it, pushing it. And we get back into town and I'm kind of wondering like, hey, where are my brothers at? You know, and I'm thinking to myself, it's kind of getting a little hectic, stay off the radio. 
They've got plenty of experience. They're all together. They know what they're doing. And I start hearing calls over the radio that they're trying to get water dropped. And then I hear my superintendent over the radio say that they're getting ready to deploy their fire shelters. And I'm thinking, like, what's happened? And we're trying to find a way into where they're at. And we can't find a way in. There's just too much fire on the ground. There's no road in. So they finally, they get a helicopter up, and they've got a paramedic on board. And you can hear over the radio, hey, I've got eyes on the crew. You can see their shelters. And so they find a spot to land the helicopter. And I can only imagine from his account, he's hiking down. And I hear over the radio a few minutes later, he says, I've, I've got 19 confirmed. And it hit me that they had just passed away. Um, that this fire just took in their life. And everything that had led to the man I am today was gone. You know, I didn't really have a strong family growing up. Um, they, they did the best they could, but those men had defined me as a father, me as a community member, and continually tried to help me rebuild my relationship with God. And I had lost it all in, in the blink of an eye. It would be months of shock funerals, memorials. After the tragedy, I didn't turn back to heroin, but I turned to the bottle. Throughout the day, I couldn't escape the reality of what happened. And when I went to bed, my, my mind was haunted by the things I had seen and experienced. And I started to drink really heavy. My life was... I, I can't put it, it was living hell. Everywhere I went, there I was sitting in the mirror wondering, why didn't I die that day? You know, and it's, it took me a while to get honest with myself. And I just started praying and crying. I'm like, God, I can't live like this anymore. And I never wanted to ever question why that day happened. But I do want to know can you remove this from my life? Because I can't do it on my own. So after hitting rock bottom and having these moments of contemplating suicide, I found myself in counseling. And I thought I knew what recovery was, and but I had no clue. I had no clue what my relationship with Christ looked like. I had no clue what recovery looked like. But I found a brotherhood in that meeting again and it changed my life. I had men again that were willing to rally alongside me and walk alongside me and lead me to a deeper relationship with Christ that healed pain and filled a void that I never could fill with anything else. And that was only His love, only His forgiveness, and only his hope and purpose for my future 
that puts me here today. What an incredible story. And we have Brennan right here with us. And I, I can only imagine what it's like watching that. And it just conjures up, I'm sure, a lot of emotions from the guilt you felt as being the lone survivor out of 20 hotshot firefighters to the pain, you know, just reliving some of the pain and hurt. But I also know, talking to you, that there's also this feeling of hope because your story is a story of hope. For anyone that struggled with an addiction, there's hope. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So I thought maybe as we dive into your story, tell us just a little bit of, you know, after this really traumatic event, how quickly did you find yourself with a deep addiction? Oh, I would say it had to have been within weeks. You know, I had this persona of being this hero that I had to try and portray and, and be there for the families and, and do these interviews put on this stoic face, but the, the few people around me that were close to me, they knew I was broken. I was just at a point of, of drinking every week to the, to the place of blacking out and just in tears and, and suicidal and just depressed and anxious whenever I saw a sticker, a t-shirt, and my life was just spiraling down. And I went from being like a, a saver, right? A, a first responder, like I'm supposed to be on, I'm supposed to be there for people needing to be the savee, and I couldn't admit that, and I struggled with that for years. Wow. So you find yourself in a deep addiction. You're, you're addicted to a substance now, but let's fast forward a little bit. Tell everyone here today, what, what are you doing now? Like, what, what takes up your time? What's your occupation now? Uh, what takes up my time is Hold Fast Recovery. God put it on my heart two and a half years ago to open up a Christian treatment center for men and actually, I get to share with you this, this week, we, we launch our women's program, and he's just continuing to help it live and prosper, and yeah. And, you know, there's, there's no greater joy that I get to serve others, you know, whether it was in the fire service or within the church or within, you know, any ministry, it's just, he's filled my heart with such a passion. Yeah. It's amazing to think that you went from this person that had this deep trauma to an addiction to not only going through the process of recovery, but now on the other side of it, now you run a treatment facility for people that are struggling with addiction. So really, you're an expert with us here today on this topic of addiction. And I think what most of us know today is that 2020 has been a year of trauma. It's been a year of a lot of hurt and pain and what we know is that the addiction levels have just skyrocketed, um, not only in our country, but in our state specifically. So Brennan, as an expert, help us get a feel for just how deep is the issue of addiction right now, specifically in our state? What's going on? So within our state, we lead uh, within our country the, the top half within cocaine use, heroin use, prescription pain pill abuse. During COVID, we had alcohol sales up 300%. You know, we had um, overdoses have been on the rise. We've had relapse that's been on the rise. And one in seven Americans are said to be struggling with an addiction and one in four families will be impacted by that. And those numbers are only increasing. 
And what I think is so important to talk about as well is we think of addiction as a substance, right? We think of alcohol or drugs or marijuana, but really it dies even deeper into pornography. We look at eating disorders, we look at gambling, we look at spending, we look at you know those around us that work to a 60, 70, 80 hour work week. That's an addiction, and it's just showing up in a different manner in life, and so there's many forms that this disease can attack in your, in your personal walk. Yeah, and so what, what, what I think is a really key takeaway today is when you think of addiction, don't think of sometimes the typical things you think about. Addiction is a wide umbrella that covers a lot of things, and what it's been uh, said is that addiction is trying to take a hole or a void you fill in your heart and filling it with a bigger hole. Because what you're doing is you're taking a substance or something else that you're trying to fill your life with and it's actually making your life worse in the long run. And so you're, you're digging this hole, this pit that you're getting into with an addiction and it's really difficult to get out on your own. How many people um, that find themselves addicted, because you said one in seven people in America today are addicted and that, that number's probably risen during this COVID era. How many people actually get help? You know, what's unfortunate is that only 20% of people that suffer from an addiction get help, and I think what leads to that is the stigma we have around addiction being the homeless man or woman that's, that's lost everything, and it, it's far from true. At Holdfast, we see CEOs, we see you know, first responders, veterans, we see a wide range of people that are struggling in their everyday life because of the trauma they've experienced or the stress, and this conversation is so key and important during 2020 because we gotta let people know it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to reach out for help, it's okay to get struggle. We can't, we can't settle for 20% of people finding help. Yeah, and one of the goals today is that if you need help, that you would ask for help. I love what scripture says about this topic of addiction. I wanna read a verse for you from Proverbs 25, 28. It says this, a man without self-control, and that's a man or woman who's addicted, is, is, is you know, turn, you know, has a life where they're lacking self-control, they're addicted to, to something, is like a city broken into and left without walls. And I love this picture that scripture gives us because it shows us that when you become addicted and you start filling your life with something that you know isn't good, the walls start crumbling down around you. And, and there's probably some people here today that, that are wondering, like, am, am I, gosh, am, am I addicted to something? Do I have an addiction? I bet you there's family members here today that are wondering if someone they love, like, do they actually have an addiction? And give us, just from your vantage point, what are some warning signs, what are some indicators that we should be looking out for that someone really is dealing with an addiction? So when dealing with an addiction, like we talked earlier, there's, there's different facets that it can come in, but one of, the, one of the first things I look for is a change in mood and a change in patterns, right? We're, um, we're, we're human beings and we like consistency, and so when we start seeing that consistency change within our sleeping patterns, within you know, our drowsiness or our energy level, um, we can see that someone's going through something, and if it's irregular, you know, it's, it's leading to a substance, usually nine times out of 10, because if someone's usually always awake all the time and they're very down, they could be using you know, heroin, a prescription pain pill, but if they're usually a normal flat person, but they have high energy, they're up late at night, um, you know, it could be meth or something that really ramps up the body, and they're seeking to fill that void we had talked about, 
And you know, the obvious signs as well is finding like tinfoil, needles, broken pin caps, um, drugs in general, just glassware that seems out of the normal, late evenings, and taking it just a step further with like alcohol, right? Alcohol is legal. It's something that's legal. Marijuana was just legalized. And so yep. there's this balance of when is, an, when is it too much? And when it starts affecting your family, when it starts affecting your children, your job, your career, your profession, eventually it's gonna catch up and it's gonna take a toll. And so we have to watch out for that intake level of, you know, hey, you've gotta, you've gotta really take a serious look at the family as a whole and not just the person too. Yeah. And so there's a lot of warning signs that you can be looking out for that someone may be struggling with an addiction. My guess, and it's not even a guess, it's, I know this, there's families here today that know, that know they have a friend or a loved one that is addicted. And what they know is they've tried to maybe say something or approach it, but the person that they love will not admit that they have a problem. They won't admit they have a problem. Speak into that, because there's someone here today, they have someone they love so much and they just want them to get help, but they will not admit they have a problem. How should they approach that? What, what should they do? That conversation should be approached with grace, but also accountability. And so we start talking about setting boundaries. And for me, that conversation was had numerous times over years. You know, I was in complete denial. Um, one of the gentlemen that had that conversation with me is here today, and I bet he's laughing right now. Like, yeah, I talked to him a few <laughs> so times. So you had people in your life saying, Brennan, we think you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so we gotta come with grace and accountability and so often we focus on the addiction itself but really we gotta take a step back and look at the feelings and emotions that are involved with what they're struggling with because admitting that you're suffering from addiction is, is something that's, you know, we have this stigma around it so we gotta start kinda with baby steps and, and talking our way through, you know, are you stressed out, are you anxious, are you, you know, are you drinking too much, is there something you found that is helped with you that you think is helping but really is hindering your process. And at one point in time, you might come to a place where you have to set some, some tough boundaries because as families, we can, we can literally love them to death. Wow. And we can enable them to a point where they're not gonna get help by paying their bills or by helping them have a safe place to be. If they're using my home, they'll be safe. But there's, there's a gift of desperation that is so key with an addiction, and that's when that loved one comes to a point of, I'm done, and unless the walls have fallen down, they can't find that relationship with Christ because we're really good at picking up that shovel and digging the hole ourselves. We're really good when those walls, when someone's coming raided in, we'll grab, grab a sledgehammer and we'll start hitting them too for no reason, and that's just the disease at hand and, and sin's nature, and so we've, we've gotta just take a step back and say, hey, you know, I need to protect the family, I need to protect you, because that gift of desperation is really difficult, but on the other end, it's one of the greatest gifts we've been given as an addict. Wow, I, I, I think that term is something someone needs to hear, the gift of desperation. And what I hear you saying is that we wanna approach anyone that's struggling with addiction with some love and grace, we have to, but there's a point in time where you need to understand that you are enabling an addict and enabling maybe them to a point where they're not gonna get the help they need. And I think that's a really tricky thing for a family to figure out is at what point am I enabling someone to the point where 
I'm actually going to love them to death. Yeah. I'm gonna create an environment where they are not going to get help. And oftentimes, that's something that you have to really wrestle with as a family member or a friend. Do I need to start putting up some boundaries? Do I need to stop enabling so that my helping doesn't hurt? Because there is a p- point where helping hurts. And I know that's a tricky thing for people to balance, but I think that's really key. And in your, your own personal story is one in which you got to a point of desperation, I think, and that led you to actually get the help you needed. Yeah. yeah. My sense is today that there's someone in the audience today that this is your moment. It's your moment to understand that you truly, truly need to get some help. And God is gonna use this moment to convict you, not only convict you, but to give you courage, because it really does take a lot of courage to take a step to say, I need to get some help. Brennan, talk to us today about, for that person, and they're they're here today, what would you tell them are some appropriate next steps to get the help they need? The appropriate next steps for someone that may be sitting here going, this is my moment, right? This is the time that I, I, am, I am ready and I am done, is to know you're not alone and that there's help out there for you. And so if I can give you any encouragement, it's to seek out professional help, whether that's within the church, whether that's within counseling, a hold fast center, find somebody that's gonna walk alongside this journey with you. And it's so important that you find Christian resources because the difference between a Christian resource and a secular resource, the success rate is on the completely opposite end of the spectrum. In the secular world, they say it's a 20% success rate. In the Christian world, it's 80% success rate when you're dealing with mental health and addiction and that you are worth it. There's men and women that love you, that don't know you, that wanna make sacrifices to walk through this journey with you, just like men and women did for me, and just like I wanna do for others today. So you have the ability, and Christ has that unconditional love and forgiveness that's waiting for you, and he's willing to pull you out of that darkness. He left the 99 for the one, and he wants to do it in every waking moment, and meet us at every door that we feel is shut or broken, or that we can't walk through, but he has that courage for us. Wow. I hope someone just, you let that sink into your heart, that one of the things we've wanted to say throughout this whole entire series, no matter what you're struggling with, with mental health, is we're trying to say this to you. You are not alone. We see you. The church sees you. People see you. You have loved ones around you that, that see you, and there is help. And if you need help today, it's time for you to admit that you need help. And just to raise your hand, as Brendan said, to get some professional help. And we're gonna talk more about that in just a moment. But I love what you said about the success rate between sometimes just going a secular route versus going to someone who has Jesus at the center, whether that's a Christian counselor or someone at a church as a pastor, or someone that's gonna get help that a treatment facility like yours that is truly has Jesus at the center of it I want you to tell us with your own story, because this is your story, what role did Jesus play in transforming Brennan McDonough's life? I'm already crying. (laughs) Um, Jesus gave back my children a father that was absent, Uh, a father that was so broken 
and so desperate for a different life and just moments of clarity to not be haunted and not just to give me a mediocre life, he gave me an amazing life today. And there's a void that I tried to fill with everything, with anger, with depression, with drinking, with walking away from him and what he had for me. And now my wife has a husband that is home, that is not just physically there, but is mentally present. My children have a father that when he walks through the door, I'm not dreading that time. I'm encouraged and I'm excited about the time I get to see them. But he's also put a purpose in my life. I lost my purpose when I lost my brothers. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was a knuckle-dragging hotshot. I had no education and that fire service saved my life, but he put this purpose of giving back what I've been given to others, and that, that's, that's the true joy, is having purpose in life and being able to share the love that Jesus has for us, that unconditional love that he fills in our life, and he's put amazing mentors that have walked alongside me and given me opportunities just to say, it's okay to be broken. I'm broken. <laughs> And that's okay today. I might have hurt, I might have pain, but I have a God that's gonna meet me wherever I'm at. And that's the true joy I get today, and that's the, the passion that he feels in me, and he wants that for every single one of his children. He wants it for every single one of us, and I, and I just can't express it enough that if you're in a place of desperation, if your world may seem like it's all falling apart, God's ready to intervene and say, it's all coming together, my child. It's all coming together. When it looks like it's all falling apart, your world may be falling together, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. Wow, is that not good? Can we celebrate that? What I, uh, what I hope someone here says, uh, someone hears today is this, is that here's a man who went through some of the deepest hurt and brokenness you can imagine. And there's a void. There's a void in your heart. And you begin to fill it with everything, everything but Jesus. And there's obviously some very uh, you know, tactical steps that if you're an addict, you need to get some help. But hear what Brendan's saying. Unless you fill your heart with Jesus, unless you fill your heart with Jesus, you will always have a void that you will turn back to something to fill that only Jesus can fill in your life. And that is why the answer for every addiction has to start with you turning your life over to Jesus, giving your life to Jesus, being baptized and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit that can fill you in a way that you could never imagine. I wanna show you how the Bible, God's word, approaches this topic of addiction. Listen to this. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 says this, don't be drunk with wine. You could replace wine with any substance, anything you're filling your, wife, your life with. Don't be drunk with wine because what? It will ruin your life. We know that. So what is the alternative? Instead, instead, that void that you're filling with wine or a drug or shopping or gambling or pornography, what should we fill our lives with? Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is God's spirit that will transform your life. And, uh, and Brendan, I think really that's your story. Yeah. And it's what, not only your story, you run an addiction center that you're seeing hundreds of, of men and soon to be women 
who are going to, who are seeing the same thing. They're finding their hope in Jesus and then getting the actual, really, like, help they need with the addiction to start overcoming it. But on the other side of addiction, if you don't have Jesus and you don't have Jesus walking into your addiction, you're going to be hopeless. Jesus is con- that can, pro- can provide hope. Now, what I think you should talk to us about today is there's a man or woman here today that feels like, well, I would love to give my life to Jesus. I wanna go all in with Jesus, but I need to get my life in order first because I'm broken, I have this addiction. Jesus, I mean, how can I turn my life over to Jesus with an addiction? Talk to us about that. I mean, to, what, what's the sequence of events to turn your life over to Jesus? Do you get your life in order first? <laughs> I think, you know, I thought that for years and I struggled with, I need to get my life together. I, come, I gotta come to him clean. I think of the Holy Father. I think of just the, the creator of the world and I'm not worthy. Wow. That love, I thought I wasn't worthy of. And that's the devil. Keeping us right where he wants us in misery. Jesus Christ is willing to meet you at your brokenness. The bigger the void, the bigger the fill, right? Wow. wow. The bigger the void, the bigger the fill. So the more broken, the more Christ wants to come into your life and have that transformation. And that is what we're trying to do here today is say it's okay to be broken. It's okay to go to him and say, God, I can't do this. I am done. I am on my knees praying for you to take control. And I'm thankful that I did that day that I've given it to him, I've given my direction, I've given my life because it has been a transformation that nothing else on this world could ever provide me. Wow. And so please, please hear that today. <clears throat> please hear that today if, if, if that's you and you feel unworthy. Listen, all of us are unworthy. I am 100% unworthy And yet Jesus makes you worthy because he went to a cross to die for you and rise again for every person here today. And I love what you said, the bigger the hole, the bigger Jesus is to come and fill that hole. And so Brennan, your story is a story of hope for anyone struggling with their mental health or an addiction here today, there is hope. Can we thank Brendan McDonough one more time for just being here? Thank you. And uh, I, I wanna say it again. <clears throat> I think today is someone's day. Today's your day to just admit, it doesn't matter what you're struggling with, that you have a God that loves you and sent his son Jesus for you and he wants you to turn your life over to him. And if, if that's you today, listen, today you can turn your life over to Jesus. You can walk out of the service, talk to any of our pastors, go to the information center. We have our baptistry set up on every service. If you wanna make that decision today and get baptized today, we are ready for you today, okay? We have a change of clothes, a towel, we're ready because that's the step you need to take. But we also wanna provide some really practical help as a church, okay? We, we know that Jesus not only came in and, and met the spiritual needs, but also met the physical needs of people. And that's why we've launched this Press On campaign. Listen, what, what we do all the time, you need to know this as a church, 
all the time, for forever, we've had a list of vetted Christian counselors that we have vetted ourselves and we refer people to all the time. And then we have a benevolence budget that if you can't afford that counselor, we'll step in and help you with that. We've always done that. But here's what's happened in 2020, and you know this. We've been talking about it. In a typical year, one in five people are struggling with their mental health. This year, one in two people are, are struggling. So what we've seen is anxiety, depression, addiction has skyrocketed. At the same time, people's economic uncertainty and some of the economic challenges have skyrocketed. So people that need to get help are not getting the help they need. And one of the big barriers is people's finances. And that is why we've said as a church, we're gonna do something about that this season, especially approaching the holidays, which are, by the way, the number one time of year that people struggle with their mental health. So that's why we've launched a, a campaign called Press On. And I wanna tell you just a little bit of the backstory of how we came up with that word, Press On. Uh, we were talking about this series and we looked at this word depression, just one of the things people struggle with. And there was a, a, a person on our team that, that had this idea. He said, you know, when you look at the word depression, when you take out the D and you take out the E and you take out the I, you know what it spells? It spells press on. And that's what people need during the season is, a, is the, the path forward to press on beyond some of the challenges that they're struggling with. So what we're doing during the Press On campaign is if you need help, you need help, we're asking you to text the word help to 72020. And when you text help to 72020, you'll get a, a, a little form that you fill out. It takes you no time at all. Just give us a little bit of information and someone on our staff within 24 hours will call you to pray with you, to talk with you, and then if you need some additional help going to see a counselor or maybe a treatment facility, we're gonna refer you to someone that we have vetted, and if you need help paying for it, here's what we're gonna do as a church. We're gonna help pay for your first 10 sessions to see a counselor that can help you with what you need. That's what we're gonna do. Now listen, some of you are thinking, you're gonna pay for the first 10 sessions? Yeah, not just for people in our church, for anyone across our city that needs help. If you have someone that needs help that's not going to our church, tell them to text help. We'll help them, that's what we're gonna do. That's who we are. That's what we're gonna do. And here's what some of you are thinking, that sounds expensive. You better believe it is. You better believe it is. And here's what we could have done. Listen, here's what we could have done. We could have sat back and played it safe. It's economically uncertain. As a church, we could have said, eh, let's not step into this. That's a little economically unsafe because, I mean, the church is kind of, you know, economically, we're not really sure what's going to happen with, with giving and all that kind of stuff. But that's not the kind of church we are. And I refuse to play it safe when people are hurting all across our city. We're not gonna play it safe. We're gonna step forward and help people because people matter to our church. That's the kind of church you are. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna challenge people in our church that have resources and means to give to this Press On campaign. And we're gonna help match up resources with people that need the help. And do you understand that we can help people get the help they need and we can see transformation in our city that's why I believe there really can be hope on the other side of this COVID season. Because if, if the one thing that happened because of COVID is that you finally admitted 
that you have some issues that need some help and you got help, do you understand that could be one of the most best things that could have happened from this season? And we're gonna help you get the help. So if you need help, text help to 72020. And if you're someone who can, you know you have resources, God has blessed you. I wanna challenge you to give to this campaign. 100% of what you give will 100% go to help people get the help they need from counseling and other resources and treatment facilities. 100% of it will go to those people. Not one dime will stay at CCV. 100% is going to those people. And so if you wanna give, you can go on our website to ccv.church slash press on. You can go on our app. You can press the press on tile. And listen, some of you are gonna be able to give $50, 500. Some of you can give 5,000. Some of you can give $50,000. I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even make you blink. And I just believe as we step forward generously, which our church has always done, God is gonna take those resources and match them up with the people that need them. And we are going to see our valley transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And I'm so expectant for what God's gonna do. And so again, if you need help, text help. And if you are someone that wants to step forward and help us get people help, please would you go give. And we're gonna see God move miraculously. As I was uh, just um, talking to our elders at CCV about this vision that God had given me to really launch this campaign and, and, and really get people help in a, in a year where it's just so desperate, um, I wasn't sure what they were gonna say. And one of the elders, as I was explaining the program, he, he, almost, he just looked at me and he paused and he just almost started crying. And he told me this story. He said, Ashley, you don't, you don't understand. Someone in our family, a family member, just lost her kids because of an addiction. And she just texted us this week and she said, I'm trying my best, I'm trying to get over this addiction, I need to go to counseling, I was going to counseling, but now I can't afford it anymore. Those are the kind of people we're gonna be able to help. Just this past week, someone who had texted help, texted in and it was a, it was a mom that had just got out of a detox program but when you get out of detox, there's no resources. And she said, I need to go to counseling, but I can't afford it. Her husband had just left her. She has four kids at home. She's a single mom. And she is now getting help because of this program. CCV, that's the kind of church you are. And I wanna thank you for it. And I want us to pray together that God, God helps move during this season to get people help, the help they need. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for Brendan's story. It's a story of hope. And I pray for the man or woman here today that especially needs Jesus. They've been sitting on the sidelines. They're not a follower of Jesus. They've never been baptized. I pray that that is their next step today. And then I pray that for all of us that need help, that we would text help and just get the help we need and just be okay, you know, not, not trying to feel like we have to do it all on our own or be strong on our own. Like, let us be okay accepting some help. And for those of us that God, you really blessed us. Would, would we give generously to help those people? And together, would we just see your Holy Spirit move across our valley as people find help during a really, really tough season? We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, next weekend, we have Dr. Henry Cloud coming. If you don't know who Dr. Henry Cloud is, my opinion, he is the number one speaker in the world when it comes to mental health. He's gonna knock it out of the park. You should come and you should not come alone. CCV, go out and make a difference. You're that kind of church. Thanks for being here.